2016, social media and the view of the youth as front and center of today. In the current social and political climate, there's no argument that a lot of things are going on. With all the information and content coming towards us right now, in this moment, it's important to dig deep to remember where we stand and why we're there. Most importantly, how do you Chicago students engage with the community? Thank you so much for coming. We're super excited to have this conversation. So we could just introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Norma. I'm a fellows ambassador at the IOP. Right now I'm working with Abdul Sayed, super interesting guy. Mm-hmm. I'm also <laughs> an intern uh, at Illinois Perg, which is a consumer watchdog group. Right now we're working on a people's gas campaign, which is to stop the corruption in fossil fuel infrastructure, especially in Chicago, but all over Illinois. Um, hi, my name is Kenley. And here at the University of Chicago, I'm really involved in Maroon Tutor Match, which is essentially a child of NSP, which is the Neighborhood Schools Program. So I usually tutor um, students who live around the Chicagoland area, and I'm also involved in Chicago Student Action. I'm Sam. I'm the president of UC Dems. Um, I'm, a, I'm a student at the Harris School of Public Policy, just graduated from the college last year. I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not, I said, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I did not know that. First, I'm going to give you like an outline of like what my mind kind of thought about to like create this, and then what I hope to like get out of it. So I moved here in 2016. So I technically moved here when everything was about to start. And so for me, as someone that's not been here before, um, my ideas and my views are just formulating and I'm still trying to figure out, okay, what, where am I, where do I stand? And I think there are going to be a lot of students like me that are just like, where do we stand? And why should I follow this new league of people? What I hope this group could be is just like us reflecting on where we stand in this political climate, like what is happening in this culture, not necessarily only the political climate, like in everything that's happening with like coronavirus and everything that's just like happening right now in New Chicago as well. Where do you stand and why do you stand there? So the first question I want to ask, which I guess I would start with my experience is, what do you remember before 2016? And where were you November 9th, 2016? Just to be clear, what happened on November 9th, 2016? <laughs> <laughs> Election Day. I remember that the thing I was most excited about was the fact, not even most excited, the only thing that was like following on social media was one, I just joined Instagram for the first time. And um, on November 2016, when I remember the thing that really caught me was when my um, stepfather, when he was reading, he was watching the election happen. And then like towards the night, he just like put off the TV and went to bed. And I was like, why did, well, who won? I don't, I don't want to know. And so, yeah, that was what really caught me for that night. But I didn't understand anything. So so what were, like, the... So basically, so some of the question is, like, what were the implications of um, what happened on that day? Yeah. <gasps> yeah, so, yeah, I'll go first. So before 2016, honestly, I was very small. I turned 15 in 2016. So prior to that, my involvement in political affairs was very limited. There's not much you can do as a 10-year-old in politics. But 2016 really marked, like, a very important change in the way that I viewed politics. I went to a Catholic school, and most of the people there were Republican, they were conservative. So 
I remember really, really clearly the night of the election. I was watching the election. I was so excited at the beginning of the day. I was like, yes, we're finally going to get it. We're finally going to get a female president. Mm -hmm. Like, I was so ready for it. And then as the results started coming in and it looked more and more like uh, Hillary was going to lose, I I did the same thing as your stepfather. I just turned off the TV and I went to sleep. The next day when I woke up, it was kind of like all of the bad stuff coming together because I got sick. And then when I opened my phone, I had a lot of text messages from the people in my school who knew I was very um, liberal saying, basically, look what you got. Like, we beat you and stuff like that. And it was hard for me because Trump was known for his anti-immigrant rhetoric. And I come from a family of immigrants. My parents immigrated here from Mexico. So everything that he was saying, I felt like it was directed at me. And to have my classmates, the people that I went to school with every day, basically validate him, basically say, we support him. We support the way he sees you. That was super upsetting. I skipped the next day of school. And when I went back, I kind of went back with my head tucked down. I was scared to like kind of engage with these people because he did win, right? So... Mm -hmm. America validated him. So I have a bit of a different experience. Um, I, I remember a lot of politics before 2016. Um, my first campaign was actually the Obama 08 campaign. Um, and so that campaign, I think, taught a lot of people a lot of lessons about kind of the, the other side, the positivity that can exist in um, political activism. But I think a lot of people took that moment as an indication that not that the mission was accomplished, but that things were going in the right direction and they didn't need to be, continue to be pushed in the right direction. And so I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, 2016 was in a lot of ways just a reminder that, you know, nothing is ever complete. Um, and that, you know, we still, we live in a country where people have a lot of different views and there are, there's a lot of underlying conflict. And I think 2016 really just brought that out. I don't think it did anything new or unique. I think it just revealed what was already there. And I think there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple of years about um, in what ways this was like a, an outgrowth of things that had already um, happened before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a similar experience from that election of having been, um, I had planned to have a party with friends and then ended up going to sleep early, earlier and not really knowing what happened and then waking up and kind of just dreading. I remember waking up and for a brief moment, I, f- I forgot what had happened, and then I woke, and then I was like, "Oh, what? right! I need to find out what happened." Um, and yeah, I remember being really quiet on campus the, um, the next day, like quieter than I've ever seen any large community of people. Yeah. Um, See, so like during this time, you were on U Chicago. Campus. Yeah, this was my second year. Yeah. What yeah. was the atmosphere like in U mm-hmm. Chicago? Was there like two opposite sides? There's like a side of campus that was for. Trump. Yes, I mean there was there was a little bit of that stuff. Um, not nearly what you would have experienced at a school that was like pretty conservative. Um, there were the you know there were some people who were contrarian or you know probably just came from conservative backgrounds mm-hmm. or whatever. But it was there. It wasn't even like you wouldn't have noticed that. Um, you would. It was pretty. Because I one thing one thing that I always um, that always irritates me about. Well, I wouldn't say irritates me. Um, one thing that um, I think could be improved um, on this campus is I don't think that the student body is actually that active in social and political issues that go on around them. And so it was surprising to see even like because people ask me a lot, you know, as as president of Dems, is this is this a liberal school or is it a conservative school? They've heard about the econ department, but they assume that most you know, elite schools are liberal. And my answer is always, most people just are very apathetic. Um, it's liberal leaning in yeah. terms of what people actually think, but a lot of people are pretty apathetic. But that was the one time that I saw even like the mass of people that normally don't care 
seemed shaken as well. Yeah, I would say that I had a very different experience. So for me, the election was, I was still a young person. I was in the ninth grade. No, I was in the 10th grade. And for me, nothing had really clicked yet that I should really be involved. But my sister was having a lot of assignments where she had to watch different different presidential debates and whatnot for her history class. And I would watch them with her and I would see the dynamics between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump um, during their debates and whatnot. And I really thought, wow, this is crazy. This is unlike an election that we've ever seen before because the the dynamics were totally, they were just strange for me. Um, total, especially coming from the two Obama elections where I felt like the dynamics had been different. And it's not that I was following those elections I was just a little kid, but sometimes when my parents would watch them, I'd watch them as well. And when I went to school after Trump was elected, to be honest, a lot of people were angry, and but most people were scared. And I understood that because a lot of my friends were, some of them were undocumented. A lot of them were minorities. I myself am a, am a, am a minority, so I kind of didn't want him to win, but at the same time, I wondered if he was really going to do any of the things that he said, such as the wall. <laughs> That's still not here. So for me, although I thought that he was not a good representative and I didn't think that he truly cared about the issues that the black community and other communities were facing, I didn't think that he was going to do anything substantial that would make things worse. Of mm -hmm. course, now we're seeing kind of a different trend in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, the recent Supreme Court ruling where they're going to kind of look at your wealth mm -hmm. and whatnot in terms of determining immigration. But before yeah. then, I hadn't really seen anything like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it's, that's okay. it's, a, it's okay. It's yeah. okay to not know. I think that's the point. It's highlighting that it's okay to not, um, but no, not, not even it's okay. It's okay. Do you think it's okay for you to not have a firm grounding on like where you stand? right now in this climate or because i feel like there's a huge push for youth especially because most of we're the ones that like are in front and center of like most movements right now do you think it's okay for someone to be like i don't know if i hate trump or not i don't know if i think trump is like wrong what he's doing is wrong i don't know if i like i'm against him directly do you think it's okay for someone to feel that my opinion is that the question should be less about the person and more about the things that he's representing more it's not necessarily the fact that he's donald trump or whatever mm -hmm. it's more about what he says to these communities how he shows his perceptions about these communities we know that he doesn't think that a lot of immigrants and a lot of black and, and a lot of communities of color mm -hmm. have any real value to him and to a lot of people who are in his base so I think that the question is more, should we have a stance in terms of those issues? And I think that we should. And I feel like I didn't have one before, but I feel like it's definitely been coming together a bit more. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that um, you kind of brought up a point about um, the idea that Trump has kind of been underwhelming to his supporters, at least the first like two years of, admi mm -hmm. of his administration was kind of underwhelming in terms of what he could actually get done. Um, and, you know, to what extent that was because of the slow-moving nature of our institutions and to what extent it was his own and his administration's incompetence. I, you know, people will debate about that. But um, right. But I do think it's, it's helpful to separate, like, what 
what the administration is doing on any given day, which might be ineffective at meeting mm-hmm. some of his more extreme um, promises in his campaign, or on a given day they might do something that you know marginally benefits things that liberals like because mm-hmm. they do all kinds of things every day. Um, I think it's it's more important to to talk about um, you know what do people what do people see as the fundamental. Um, dynamics of politics Mm -hmm. and what do people think of as when people think of what their side is what are they thinking of Mm -hmm. um and how do we um you know try to build at least from my perspective a a left political movement in this country that is inclusive and that um you know and that is able to accomplish real progress Mm -hmm. just to weigh in on that um so when when like donald was elected i was also like in high school in ethiopia um and i like like, days leading up to the election is that, like, when I saw the, the debates happening and all the campaign speeches, it was, like, um, like, I kind of knew that Trump was going to be elected because, like, our idea of America when we're in Ethiopia is that Americans are crazy. They're going to choose this crazy man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. Um, and then he got elected. And then um, I was like, oh, God, America, why? <laughs> um, but then my father said something interesting that I thought uh, was funny. Um, he said, um, "This is this is this is this is what happens when democracy is real." Well, apparently, uh, like people outside of America think America is like a very de- democratic state. This is what democracy is, even though this is a crazy man because he got a larger number of votes. Mm-hmm. He he won and he got it, which is like I okay. I understand it's it's not much. The but obligatory like, point that he did not. Did get he? Right. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> which has to be brought up in every conversation about the election. Okay, but coming, for a variety of reasons. But. Coming from a country that. Um, that has a government uh, that has the, the where the ruling party was elected um, five times in a row because of obviously uh, rigged elections. Anything that's not that is better for us, you know. Like looking at you guys, this is like, this is at least that's better, you know. At least like you get a say in something. Like mm-hmm. whereas in Ethiopia, um, my friends and I don't even vote. Like, I mean, now since um, the new prime minister is here and he's like a super phenomenal person. Uh, we're we're gonna vote, uh, but before that, it was like there was no point to it because they're gonna rig the mm-hmm. elections and say that they won hundred percent of the vote. Um, so, what do you think about that? <laughs> right. So, I'm gonna tie this into the: Is it okay no, to like not do. be, um, to not have like an opinion on Trump or to yeah, say, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this kind of highlights two of the groups of people who might say that they don't have an opinion. First, it's the privileged, right? It's the people who, regardless of what happens in the administration, they don't think that they have anything to lose. So, why would they care? And I think that for them, that's valid, because if you don't care about everybody else, if you don't care about the people who are being impacted, you care about yourself and you're not being impacted, then I can see why you would like not have an opinion. The other group of people is a group of people who have been so systemically disenfranchised that they don't feel like it's like they don't feel like it's even like worth it to vote, mm-hmm. like you said. So my parents came from Mexico and Mexico is known for its corruption also. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, it, it is kind of like. Who cares who's president? Like, you're going to keep doing your own thing because it's what you have to do to, like, to survive and all that. And I see how people would say, I don't really care if Trump wins or not because, like, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's two, like, very different ways of that sense of, like, I don't know. Both of them should be changed, arguably. Like, the people in privileged uh, situations need to empathize with the other with uh, other groups of people people who are systemically disenfranchised need to take more agency and try to fix the situations that make them so disenfranchised so just like swifting the boat towards um social media which is very you know paramount to this conversation 
So I heard a saying from a movie. I can't remember the movie right now. I think it was a politician <laughs> or something. And the saying was like, the pandemic of overcommunication has led to an absence of intimacy. What do you think about that? I don't know that I would agree, to be <laughs> honest. When you mentioned, uh, as, when you were asking where do we get most of our information, this is going to sound so, so bad. But I do use Instagram a lot for uh-huh. information. I do. Now, okay, <laughs> I'm going to qualify this. I do, like, check up on the articles afterwards. But Instagram is a very quick, very fast way of getting information across. You see the little clips of articles. You see quotes. You see pictures. And all of this is information that's being transmitted. And it's information that hits particularly at me, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to generalize myself as, like, an average, like, 18 to 25-year-old mm-hmm. um, uh, woman. And this information is being conveyed well because it does make me interested and it does get me to learn more so i don't know that over communication would really reduce that lack of empathy it's just that there is so much communication that needs to be communicated mm. so the over communication is not the fault of the media or whatever it's the fact that there's so much information so many things happening so many things that we should care about that like we feel overwhelmed but it is what is happening um so hassan minhaj in his patriot act last year he said the way to survive 2020 is focus on one thing. How would you tie that to overcommunication? What's the one thing? Like, focus on one issue. Um, like, if I want to focus on, you know, uh, climate change, focus on just that and let other people deal with what they must. I totally disagree. There are so many issues that are important and pertinent to our time that we can't just say, I'm going to focus on this one because when these issues are, when these issues have the effects that they do, like the climate change issue, the immigration issue in America. So many of these issues have a lot of far-reaching... Um, a, the How we respond to these issues will have far-reaching effects in our near and far future. We can't say, I'm only going to focus on climate change, or I'm only going to focus on making sure that people's human rights are protected. We need to make sure that we're doing all we can to make sure that the place that we live in will be better. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I have a slightly different view. I think that a lot of people, um, you know, because they have access to so much information, feel bombarded by things go- that are going mm-hmm. on. And I think a lot of people just read the news and feel sad about it and then go about their lives and yeah. just feel worse. Exactly. And that's not really helping anyone. Um, and so I think I would, you know, I mean, in an ideal world, people would be able to spend as much time as, as there was on every political cause that they cared about. But the reality is that people's lives are just far too time-limited to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the better thing to do for people who want to feel like they're helping but also you know, face very real practical constraints and lots of other commitments in their lives, I think the, the one thing that, you, that is helpful is rather than letting yourself feel that bombardment of national news, try to cut things down to smaller pieces. Um, I think a lot of people don't do things as simple as like contact their state representative. Um, you know, the, the smaller, the, the, the interesting thing is the lower the level of politics, the less people care about it, but the more of an effect you can mm-hmm. have. Um, and it's also the level of, you know, the, the more local in most cases, the more interaction and actually direct effect in your, on most people's lives the government actually has. You know, if you, if for, so to take the state representative example, if you contact your state representative about a local issue, you're pretty likely to get a meeting with that person. Mm-hmm. You could convince them about things. You could talk to your neighbors. And I think that that kind of direct involvement um, makes it a lot easier both to build upward because that that kind of development of organization 
Um, and, you know, there's a lot of interesting research about um, the decline of, like, national associations that have, mm-hmm. you know, structures where you get down to the local chapter where people yeah. actually organize with people they know. I think that we should move back towards um, trying to do that more often um, in order to both feel like we're accomplishing something, but also in order to be less isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. Because while we do have a lot of information and a lot of ability to communicate with other people, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to think that that ability is translating into more actually being done in terms of movement building. Yeah, so I agree with both of y'all. To Kenley's point, focusing on one issue does make you ignore all the other issues, and that's where you get, like, one-issue politics. So people who focus on, like, say, abortion, for example, and only Mm -hmm. vote on this one issue while they're disregarding a lot of other important things that they might um, also disagree or agree with. And in terms of, like, communicating at the local level, the campaign that I'm working on is, like, focusing on the local level, so what we're doing does affect mainly Chicago residents, but it's not glamorous, right? Mm -hmm. So talking about redoing fossil fuel infrastructure is not glamorous. Talking about the surcharges at the end of your gas bill, it's not glamorous. So you don't get that many people involved, but it's very important. It's a very real effect. Prices have risen, um, and they're projected to rise even more, which puts people in Chicago at risk for being without heat in the winters yeah. and we've we've lived here this winter we know it's not a not a fun time yeah, uh-huh. and that's why local politics are so important i went to enrique acevedo's um one of his seminars last uh-huh. time and he had a guest speaker who talked about how the way that people are convinced to vote is by like neighbor and social interactions right so he was talking about the latino community and he was like in order to get more la- more latinos to vote we need to forget about this like bombardment with emails and we need to focus hey can you call your tia can you call your grandpa can mm-hmm. you call your brother can you tell them this is what this is like a good cause this is what we should vote for and i think that is true that intimate nature i guess does make it easier for you to get involved because you feel that as like oh it's your neighbor telling you this mm-hmm. it's someone you trust yeah, yeah. I think it's also worth um, keeping in mind the distinction between like people who want to be very actively involved and people who don't. Because mm-hmm. among people who do, a lot of those people are like broad view. I care about all these different things. I have this worldview that encompasses a lot of political issues, and so I have a very specific like you know perspective about what particular kind of organization that I want to work with or whatever. Um, but most people who you know maybe sporadically vote, not every election, but vote sometimes or care, you know, that kind of thing. The, the appeal that's most likely to be successful is something that's very specific. Like, I care about this thing. Oh, like, I have this problem in my school. Or I wasn't, you know, I had a hard time being able to afford this medical procedure I needed. Um, and so I think it's, it's, that it's worth keeping in mind that that very concrete, how did this affect my life kind of framing is how most individual people relate to the political system. Mm-hmm. And just on that note, do you think it's possible in this day to be involved and to be involved in terms of like okay i'm helping this little family or not this little family this family just like (laughs) this family to you know be empowered and like i'm funding their kids to go to college or something but then i'm trying my very best to not make it political in any way do you think it's possible to do something in this day and not be political about it like not say oh it's attached to like i'm not doing this because of the government and the way the government is. The government is bad, so I'm trying to be good. I'm just doing this because I want to do this. So I think that the U.S. specifically does revolve around a lot about like helping out your neighbor in a non-political fashion. Um, again, my parents are from Mexico, so they bring like a different cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that my mom says that make Amer- makes America so great is that Americans are so willing to like 
help out other people. Mm -hmm. So I live in Houston, and we got hit with Hurricane Harvey in 2015. Mm -hmm. And you saw people from all over the country flood Mm -hmm. Houston. Everyone was there. They brought their boats. They brought their yachts, whatever. They were there. They were ready to help out people. And that was not a political action. That was like, my neighbor's in need, and I'm going to go help them. That sense of charity is non-political, but it's still there. It's still present, and it's still... It's something that needs to be funneled into politics, though, because while they went out to help, maybe they wouldn't have voted for someone who said, let's raise taxes so we have a greater fund for FEMA so that we're able to like help out more people when these natural disasters come. I think that something that needs to be done is impress upon the American people that actions work better when coupled with good policy that makes sure that the actions last longer. <laughs> Let's zoom down into your Chicago right now. What? How would you say the co- the community is feeling about what's happening? What's like literally happening everywhere around us? Like what's happening with the impeachment? What's happening with coronavirus in China? What's happening with um? What else is happening? <laughs> what's happening with all this stuff? What's happening with us being on the you know on the brink of World War Three? <laughs> what's happening with all of that? For me personally, I've seen a lot of apathy and. We rarely talk about issues like politics and stuff like that in my in my group. Well, in my group of friends, it is more it is more common. But sometimes when I speak to other people, they'll say, oh, well, I'm not that interested in politics or even I'm not going to lie. Even I have made, you know, jokes about coronavirus and, you know, we're all going to get infected. (laughs) And then there's, you know. But for me personally, I haven't seen any real alarm from anybody um, maybe except for my student action, the people who I work with in Chicago Student Action, but mostly I haven't seen anybody speak to me or I haven't seen anybody interestedly in, you know, um, the issues that are going on in globally mm-hmm. and nationally. I think Chicago activism kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> so recently, I don't know if y'all saw, there was a banner that says, Chicago hates people of color. Mm-hmm. And I have problems with that banner. So... I'm involved with Olas, which is a cultural group, and I have a lot of friends involved in Mitch and UC United as a whole. And I think that that was so gimmicky. I think it was so wrong of you, Chicago United, to put that up and say, we're fighting for these people of color, because that's not true. We're fighting for the people of color on campus. Mm -hmm. People of color on campus are already more privileged than people of color in our surrounding Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. What we're fighting, what UC United is fighting for, the reason that they made that poster is that they want cultural centers, which, again, would only help and only be limited to the people on campus. Mm -hmm. When you consider the impact that UChicago has in its surrounding communities, so like Woodlawn, for example, which is a primarily Mm -hmm. black neighborhood, and the amount of damage that it's doing, it seems super ridiculous to say, oh, this great student activism group, this group that fights for the minorities, is helping minorities by increasing gentrification? (laughs) Because where do y'all think these uh, cultural centers are going to come from? They're going to come from property purchased from the residents of this area. UChicago recently bought the Jewel Osco, which is one of the primary (laughs) food supplies in Woodlawn and you're not hearing about that you're not hearing about how they might raise prices how that might make food inaccessible how it might make it harder to get healthy food for the people in this community that's what you Chicago activism should be focusing on how can we mitigate the effects that we're having in the community surrounding us instead of how can we make which I agree is important like makes people of color on this campus feel welcome but there are so many more pressing things cultural centers does not have the same impact that they're claiming that it needs to have. 
you can say you Chicago hates their students of color and maybe that makes more sense but by saying you Chicago hates people of color and then not doing anything to help the people of color actually being damaged by the institution you're just using it for the plot you're just using it for the gimmick I'm not sure that it's um particularly worth focusing too much on like the opinion of UChicago students on like national political issues, um, <laughs> and the reason I like the reason I say that is that um, I mean I, I like I said I think that it would be great if more UChicago students were um, active um, in, in terms of um, trying to do something about social and political issues, particularly at the local level. That's kind of my hobby horse, but um, <laughs> but you know on on some level, um, what UChicago students do in their time here, for one thing, you know we're full time students, so there's a limit to how much people how much time people are going to have outside of their um, you know, their main obligations. But we're also, most of us are only here for four years um, and not even the whole time during that four years. And that, you know, it sounds like a long time going in, but it's not, most most of those people will not have a long-term um, commitment to the community that they're living in right now. Um, what matters a lot more is what is what the process of getting an education here leads people to do with their lives afterward and what the institution does as an institution, which means, you know, it the university is a long-term uh, I guess you could call it tenant of, you know, the Mid-South Side. Um, you know, the, the university has a lot of, uh, you know, uh, academic and and social uh, institutions that, that do long-term work here. And so I think I think it's more worth asking about those things and, and, and emphasizing how you Chicago students can take the skills that they that they um, that they get here um, to make a difference, you know, when they graduate and, you know, in a more dedicated career. Um, I, I just think that's probably the way in which most students mm-hmm. are going to have some kind of impact. I, I don't think that most people are going to are going to do something really transformational while they're here. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's c- too cynical. <laughs> <laughs> just based on that point, so I strongly believe that the reason why most students, because compared to other schools of our caliber, I think U Chicago students are least active in the society than any than any other school that I basically am interacting with. Which is not a lot. <laughs> but, it's the workload. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to say. So do you think the workload significantly burdens on people to where they're not active in their four years? Because a lot of things are going on right now where, yes, you know, long term, you know, you're not going to be here for the next four years. But do you think the workload is making this amazing artist to say, oh, I can't paint this painting today because I have to do my homework. And then that's how they stick with their lives for the next four years. I'm not sure I'd agree that U Chicago students are necessarily like markedly less active than average college students. Um, I mean, I think I think the reason why a lot of people notice that is because U Chicago is unusually situated in a place where it would, in theory, be really easy for people to get involved in things that are really important. Um, you know, it's it's very different being in you know on a campus in in you know in an urban environment where you're very close to lots of you know to lots of neighborhoods and um, you know obviously Chicago has a ton of um, you know, has, has a ton of problems with social inequality and um, and all that. But, you know, compare that to someone who's, you know, at a school in like a college town where there, there might just not be as many opportunities to do that kind of thing. So I think here it's just stark when people don't do the things that exist around them. But that's not to say there aren't. I mean, um, Kinley talked about doing NSP, which is also something that I did. I know a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of students do that kind of thing. Um, I think that most of the involvement students have in the community are not political, which is an interesting dynamic. But there are a lot of, I think, service-type oriented um, opportunities that people do. Um I think there's totally room for growth, but I don't, I'm not sure that it's uniquely bad here. I agree. I think that we kind of overhype the workload and all that with the life of the mind thing, but you Chicago students get around, like they do what they <laughs> want to do. They don't let the school, they don't let the school stop them from doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that there are a lot of great like service organizations on campus. There's new Americans 
and there's a significant portion of students involved on campus. I don't know that workload is what's stopping students from getting involved in the surrounding community. I agree. Um, I think that if anything, if the workloads were decreased, probably people would spend more time looking for opportunities to spend time with friends, looking for times to, you know, uh, engage in recreational activities. And I think that just because we can't say that if the workload was any lower, then we would be more active in terms of the issues that we care about, because there's always going to be something else that we might say that we have to do or we want to do Mm -hmm. that might take precedence over something like going to a rally or going to a meeting where you like an informative inform, informative meeting where you learn about the issues that are affecting the students, the community, the state, the nation. So Okay, so I'm going to move towards the youth because you mentioned something about how if you're for because you're we're here for 4 years there's like this because they were so temporary in Chicago, it's easy for you to just disconnect yourself from like trying to do a lot in Chicago just because you're not going to be here long term. And towards that aspect, I'm do- my question is for the youth. Why do you think the youth are front and center of movements right now? Do you think we've always been front and center of the movements? Was it start- did it start 2016? Or do you say- would you say media just shifted towards focusing on the youth? I would not even say that youth are in the forefront of a lot of movements. <laughs> I say youth are in the forefront of like maybe climate change movements. Uh-huh. And that's because we've had young activists like Greta and uh-huh. um, other people rise to the forefront. But if you look at like politics, no one really knows how to get the youth involved. It's kind mm. of a problem. We have like the lowest voter turnout. It's ridiculous. Um, I think that we should be more involved. But in terms of are we more involved? No. I, I, yeah, I think I think there's to an extent maybe um, media outlets are kind of relying on the old trope that maybe they they became familiar with in past generations, like in the '60s with all the student or, you know organizing around uh, against the Vietnam War and for free speech and all that. So I think they're just used to the narrative of college students do a thing, put it on, put it in the newspaper or something. Um, and so I think that you know to the extent that we see that now, I think it's probably just because people are used to writing that story. But yeah, I mean, to echo that comment about um, about voter turnout, I mean, um, there was last year, you know, we had the mayoral election um, in Chicago and um, uh, my 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 personal academic interests are, are in Chicago politics and policy. So I, I had spent a lot of time working in local politics and thinking about a lot of these things. And people um, going into that election speculated on would this be the year that there was this, you know, um, groundswell of support from young people for some of the more left candidates. Mm-hmm. There was all this talk about. Chicago being ready for change and it was like lower youth turnout than the last mayoral election (laughs) um which was already low and lower than the rest of the population which itself was maybe 20 points lower than for federal elections so um you know maybe that's just a local thing but yeah I I don't I, I think it's true that politics tends to be older it tends to be people the people who feel most invested in politics are people who have families own homes um are in are you know are long term in one place and have like you know, have a certain amount of leisure time and they're going to use that time for, you know, in part for things like um, organizing around political issues. Um, and they pay taxes. They pay, yeah, they pay more, they pay more taxes, yeah. yeah um, so Obviously like, young people pay taxes too. But, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think, like, you know, always they say that the, the middle class or the upper middle class really never cares about politics because, like, they're, like, most of the time at least, 
least affected by what goes on because like the ri- the really rich people they get really ta- they they get taxed a lot if obviously the government is against them and then the very um the, the very low class in the society also very vocal about um the political state of the nation why do you think that's the case or i mean how do you how do you go about like the different social classes in respect to their uh perception of their government i think middle and upper class people probably vote more just because they have more opportunity to vote right so like election days and a national holiday so you still have to go to work mm-hmm. on those days and that makes it hard for people who need or depending on the wages from that day to vote um yeah, I don't know that everyone has a stake in politics, obviously. We hear more about, like, taxing the rich. Here's another thing. I've read a lot of articles on this, and, like, the way that people think that the U.S. functions is that everyone's chasing after the American dream. So the way that I've heard it phrased is that everyone in America thinks that one day they will be a millionaire, and they're thinking and they're voting as if they're going to, mm-hmm. as if they are that millionaire, right? So they tend mm-hmm. to vote for lower taxes for the wealthy and stuff like that, which I think is an interesting dynamic, and I don't know if that exists in other mm-hmm. countries, but uh, something that I would be interested <coughs> in talking about more, too. So, do you think TikTok is here to stay? Yes. Do you guys know TikTok? Because yes. I mean, Chicago students are like, TikTok I mean, I've, I've heard stay. of it, but like, oh, yeah. I mean, everything's a fad, right? Like, at one point, people probably thought MySpace was here to stay. Like That's probably true. That's such true. a grad student answer. <laughs> I know. That is so removed from undergrads. Yes. But my thing is, like, I have friends who say, I went on TikTok at 8, thought it was going to be just a few minutes, and I look at the time, and it's 1, or it's 2, and it's th- or it's 3 a.m. And something like that is just pulling you in. And you know what? Even if... TikTok itself is not here to stay. Something else is going to replace TikTok that is very similar. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure TikTok was the rebranding of Musical.ly. Yeah. Which was the rebranding of Vine. What? Really? Well, it I wasn't the rebranding, but it's literally the same, the same thing. thing. Like right. short clips that you can move yeah. through. And then the rebranding of Dub Smash. Oh, that is yes. <laughs> before my time. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys watch the grass? I did no. not. No? no? Okay, sorry. well, do you guys know Billie Eilish? Yes. yes. Okay. Billie Eilish won the four biggest categories of um, the Grammys. And so I was listening to a podcast, and they talked about how the, gra- the, p- the people that choose winners, I don't know what they call them, the people that choose winners for the Grammys, how there was probably some factor of this climate and this, like, gener- this view that we have, like we talked before, of how there's so much, like, people just, like, trying to redirect to the youth and trying to, like, you know, get the youth come out that kind of made them say, oh, let's just give Billie Eilish all the four awards, even though they were, like, greater songs than that, Old Town Road. And, <laughs> and they still gave her, you know, record of the year, even though Old Town Road literally made history so many different ways. So it was, it's, like, this conversation of, like, do you think that the climate had something to do with that? Do you think that state? Well, the way well, everything I just said has anything. Also created by a young like but then, artist. Well, so I mean, I most then, most like, like pop music is produced is made by young people. Yeah, like, but yeah. I I do think there's, there's there's been a lot of I think there's been a lot of um, uh, discussion I guess that and I've I've come across some stuff about um, like why Billie Eilish is speaking yeah. to people and um, whether they you know whether they're particularly young or not. But I think um, I think it is. Interesting that um, that someone who is who tries to be unaffected as as a, as a person she doesn't try to be like a typical pop star mm-hmm. type um, persona um, comes across as more down to earth to people and I think people like there's like an honesty to it I, I think it, there's there's validity to the idea that like 
you know, we've gotten immune to, like, to irony almost. Like, we've, we're just so used to sarcasm and negativity that there's, like, an appeal to sincerity at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Billie Eilish is a really interesting character, but before I comment on her, I just wanted to say, I did not watch the Grammys, but I did watch Demi Lovato's performance. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Let's Henley just and I were that talking in. about that, and it was fantastic. But in terms of Billie Eilish, I mean, her music's good. Like, it's just good. Yeah, it's good. Um... It, I find her as a person really interesting. And I, the way that she dresses has always been particularly intriguing to me because mm-hmm. she dresses in a such an... Like, she's mentioned this. She does not want to be sexualized. And, like, as a young woman growing up surrounded by the sexualization of women uh, in media and men, but, like, primarily women in media, seeing someone so popular, so and so popular, seen as not dated, because she's still young and she mm-hmm. retains her youth, but dress in such a such a personal way, I thought was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. I recently watched Next Step in Fashion. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and not to spoil it or anything, but there's this one particular designer who focuses on like beauty without sexualization. And that was just such a novel concept to me, introduced by these young female pop artists that was like, like I just love Billie Eilish because of that, because she shows that you don't have to be sexualized. So when I think about taxing the rich, I think it's, yes, it's fair because they don't, the money's just lying around taxing the rich, right? But then there's also this question I have of, do you think taxing the rich kind of places a kind of feeling in, a, you know, the youth, I guess, that why do I want to be extraordinary if I do become, if I do work so hard to be extraordinary and they're just going to literally tax me? So I was listening to Cardi B talk about something and she said um, they taxed her this could be wrong, I could be very wrong, but it taxed her like 50% of what she makes every year. Why would I want to make all that money and then tax 50%? Because th- th- there's this like, I want to be, you know, when there's, you know, there's this need to like, oh, I want to be a rich person and I want to be comfortable and I want to be able to help people with my money. But then, why do I want to give 50% of my money to the government? Sounds like Cardi B needs a better accountant. Yeah, <laughs> there's a very easy answer to that. Yeah. Making X amount of money and 50% of that means that you're still keeping more money than you would if you made like, less yeah. than that so oh, okay if you make more money you still get more money <laughs> when i was in high school my teacher showed us some statistics of studies that were done and he showed us that when there is complete equality in terms of like fi- in financial like finance wise mm-hmm. in a country it can sometimes reduce innovation make people like less motivated to work but he showed that when there's some inequality then, you know, that's like a good, um, that's, there's a good balance where, you know, people are motivated to, you know, climb the social ladder. But when you have the inequalities prevalent in America, which is a very big difference, that's also bad. So mm-hmm. the thing is, if America, if the United States was to add an extra tax on the rich, they're still going to be rich, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not going to become middle-class people living in our neighborhoods, <laughs> which is what some people try to make it seem like mm-hmm. it's going to be if an extra tax was added. The complicated part is just, like, is, is you know, with tax policies, always making sure that the details are worked out because the tax code is complicated, and so you can accidentally create incentives that you don't want to create if you... Which I think the the Trump administration learned um, when they when they did their um, tax reform law. But um, so like, but I do like are you, if you're talking about like, you know, allowing the the marginal rate on the top bracket or two to go up by three percentage points. I don't think that's going to make a huge no. difference in terms of, um, you know, in terms of like the structure of inequality in society or in terms of like yeah. you know our economic system. I think 
Um, so you think placing tax on taxes on the rich is not going to close? But, but it depends. I mean, it will depend. I mean, it depends on the tax. So, for example, like there in the presidential campaign, there's a lot of discussion about taxes that are specifically aimed at wealth, not just income, which is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the idea of a of a wealth based tax is, you know, whether its proponents will, you know, say this or not, it's not just about paying for a bunch of social programs. It's also about trying to reduce the size of some of the largest fortunes so there isn't, like, the um, perpetuation of intergenerational wealth on the one hand or poverty on the other hand. <laughs> Going forward, do you think there's an immense um, pressure for do you to do something? I think there has been, to a greater extent, than um, maybe a little bit before, ever since Trump was elected. People were saying, hey, this is our time now. My friends, we were all like, you know what? We couldn't vote this time, but next time we're going out there and we're going to vote. I think that there is more pressure on us. There's pressure on us because we care. And there's pressure on us because there are people around us who are being affected by these issues. Even if you're not a liberal, there are some people who are more conservatives. And, you know, the people around them, they have these goals that they have in mind. So, of course, I think that we're, I think that that's where the pressure is coming around to vote for from inside what from your beliefs and from uh and for what you think is best for the people around you. I don't think there should be a particular obligation on any one generation to uh to try to fix some of the problems that you know that, that our society faces. I I think I think everyone should feel like they're should feel pressured, you know, given what we've learned about, you know, our political system in the last few years to do at least their small part to make it better. Yeah, I agree and I would say that maybe this is cyclical. The youth are always going to feel pressure to get involved because there's always issues to get involved with. Right now, for us, maybe you can put climate change in terms of when it was civil rights, people got involved in civil rights. And then, like, any time there's been a movement, the youth have been involved. Um, but I don't know that the pressure is on the youth to get involved. And, I mean, it's, it's certainly true that, you know, for any, for any long-term issue, the biggest stake is with young people just because we have the most time to experience it. But... Um, <laughs> But I don't think that that, you know, I, I think that our, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything special in that respect about our generation. I think when we're middle-aged and get more conservative, then the next generation will, will, feel the, will feel like, you know, they're the ones who have to push society forward. Just a quick question before we close out. Um, I'm making, I'm going to make this personal now. Um, for you, what, what do you think is your outlook I think- towards the society now? And towards what you want society to be in the future, and towards what you think the society will be in the future. Oh, that's a good question. So I'm just gonna start with the next election. I think Trump is gonna win, and I'm prepared for four more years under his administration. Wow, I've never heard someone say that. <laughs> I've never heard someone say that. I hope he doesn't. Why, and I'm not why going do you to vote think for he's him. Because you don't think the the, the, dem- the Democrats I don't think have... that they're consolidated enough. However, that doesn't change the fact that it is four years, you know, and there are elections between those four years, and I have a positive outlook in terms of, like, what will happen in the future, because otherwise that would be depressing. Um, But I do think Trump is going to win the next election. I do think that people need to be more involved in politics. Y'all should get involved. I think, so I think we're going to win this presidential election, but... I hope you're right. But I I also wouldn't put too much stock in in my predictions, because I don't have any special access to information. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that your hope, or, like, your... So, I mean, obviously it's my hope. Um, I think if I had to, you know... Which what do I think if I had to pick what I think is going to happen whether he whether we win or not the next time uh, I would I would 
I would pick we were going to win. I think mm-hmm. I think that's the more likely outcome, but I, I don't think that either outcome is anywhere near certain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I, long term. I don't know. I don't know. I think uh, it's it's hard to know what direction things are going to go. I think one thing that's interesting about um, if you look at like what people were talking about in a particular time is like how much of what people were worried about ended up not really mattering, and how much they weren't thinking about that they should have been. Um, so I don't know what'll happen, but I, I mean, I think that's partially what makes life interesting, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it's hard to know what's going to be with any certainty, what's going to be particularly important down the line. But where do you stand now? Like in terms of what your view is? Um, of my the, view of society? Of the climate, of the I don't think it's, I don't, I, I, look, I mean, I think, I don't think it's as bad as people Worry it is. Um, particularly, I mean, to, to, to stick to the United States, because, I mean, it's, there's a, the whole world is, has, it's far more complicated. <laughs> but I do think um, it's worth keeping a sense of perspective that people, you know, in the United States today live at a higher standard of living than basically anywhere ever. Um, and that's not to say we don't have serious problems, but it is to keep in mind that, um, you know, we, I don't think there's any reason to think that we can't deal with those problems. And I also don't think, I don't think we should get too high or too low. I don't think we should view ourselves arrogantly as better than any, than any past society um, inherently. Um, I think we should be realistic about, you know, what, what we've achieved and what we need to make progress on. I think that America is very divided and I feel like we're kind of going to have another 2016 where it gets really stale around friends and families and whatnot because they're on totally different sides, which is, I hope that doesn't happen, but I feel like that will happen. Overall, I feel like before anything, if we get enough voters, well, obviously, that's obvious. If we get enough, it's obvious (laughs) that if we get enough voters, um, the Democrat nominee will win. If we don't get enough people to get involved, I feel like, we're going to have, it's just going to be like business as usual kind of. My view of, of this climate, I think, which is one of the reasons why I kind of agreed towards doing this podcast is I'm, I'm very interested in understanding every single person. Why we, because I believe everybody's stance is from experience and you cannot defy a person's experience no matter what you say. And so I'm very interested in broadening the way I talk to people to where I understand the reason for a lot of people's views, as differing and as similar as they may be. And so, which is a good and a bad thing because it also confuses me <laughs> on where I stand and on where and what I should do going forward. I hope I understand people more and I hope I hope everyone just learns to be kind. Just care more and care enough. I mean, it doesn't matter for me because like even if I, if I print out a poster uh, for the elections, that's that would be illegal for me because I'm an international. <laughs> oh, a ballot. Okay. Oh, a ballot. You could print out a poster and like I protest. If and I march. no, if I if I print. Oh wait, pro- I can protest, but I can't like print out one single paper for any uh, as an endorsement for any uh, political candidate. But then just like for this yeah. world, because you ha- you're on this planet, ma'am. <laughs> so <laughs> looking out a poster for the world. <laughs> so looking out into the planet or into the universe. <laughs> Where do you Ooh, stand? another goal. I want to go to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Bucket list. 
I'm on this on the side that like I just want to focus on on what my nation is at, the state the status my nation is at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just here for the education. Hopefully, I won't. <laughs> I won't be. I, I I'm I'm gonna regret saying this, but hopefully, <laughs> I can go back to my country um, after getting my education. And hopefully, the situation is also um, very difficult to to work around. Like lots of very different like multiple layers. Um, I, it's just Ethiopia just has has a lot to work with. Like mm-hmm. I can't even like start talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I hope things get better for for the Americans as well as uh, Ethiopians, yeah. I guess. Oh my God. <laughs> awesome! Thank you for coming. <laughs> that is all my questions. Thank you. Uh, no more. Do I get your name? Norma. Norma. <laughs> You're fine. Kelly, Sam, and you. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're just super grateful.